to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today we are going to be talking about the OKC Thunders Las Vegas Summer League debut against the Houston Rockets. Kind of the main takeaways from that, who starred. I also just want to talk about the Vegas Summer League in general and what I believe the Thunder need to be looking to do over the course of their final four games. And also want to talk about their upcoming game tonight against the Orlando Magic. It's not just the Chen Paulo show. Xavier Simpson, OKC Blue legend, if you would like to call him. He's going to be returning to face them. So I'll give you a preview on that game and what you can expect. Going to round things out with a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. Kicking things off though, guys, with the Thunder's Las Vegas Summer League debut. This one came, I believe, on Saturday? I think, yes, I think it was Saturday. Got the days all jumbled up. There's so many games to keep tabs on. But you have Chet going up against Jabari Smith. Picks two and three, kind of duking things out. And, you know, I think um, when you were breaking down... The draft night situations, it was between Chet or Paolo for the OKC Thunder. And when Paolo went number one, it kind of changed the board a little bit. Whenever I was kind of reporting on the draft this year, and this is what I did last year as well, um, I didn't have my like tweet notifications on for Woj or Shams because they're obviously going to get the insights before it airs on television and I know for a number two pick you need to be ready and you need to be ready to type an article um so you know I was kind of playing with some fire there but I was thinking hey you know since Paulo went one this one should go by next four minutes I'll know I can write things up uh pretty easy there but I had one of my buddies actually message me on Twitter that they took Jabari Smith and I didn't have notifications off for everything So I saw that and I was like, oh my goodness, because that wasn't expected to happen. It was supposed to be Chet Holmgren. Now the dominoes start falling and it looks like Smith is playing in OKC. So when Silver went to the podium and announced that they actually took Chet, I was completely stunned uh, based on the info I had received. But, you know, in Utah, it looked like Chet was the proper pick. He solved a lot of problems for this team offensively he's provided spacing that they just haven't had he's made some very good passes as well and even on the interior he's done a great great job not to mention he's averaging I think four blocks per game right now which is unheard of the uh, block leader last year averaged I think 2.7 so that's just a good little reference if you want to throw that on the table I think fans for the most part are very happy about this selection and you know you're going up against Jabari Smith who would have been that other option and you know it makes for a good primetime game where you can kind of see who's better out of the two if you will on a game that just doesn't matter. Um, the game did not start out that way if you guys were watching it on ESPN Saturday night. This was one where you know it was kind of a back and forth first quarter 25-21 OKC Thunder lead. Uh, But you didn't see the stars pop out on either side. Chet Holmgren only shot the ball one time in the quarter. He had a ton of rebounds. Um, But, yeah, one of one from the floor. And he was kind of trying to look from other areas to impact the game. 
was basically walled off from shooting though and one of the big differences between the Houston game and the previous games for Chet was they were actually playing super tight on him so they were encouraging him to try to make a play on the ball um, you know whereas other teams might have sagged off a little bit he can shoot over the top of them but also if he wants to drive inside he can he can take it on him you know when you're playing tight on somebody you're not going to allow that shot from the top of the key. You want them to make a play on the deck, whether it's, you know, dribbling or kicking it out. And just denying him the ball worked wonders in the first quarter. But Houston, they weren't able to run through their lottery selection either. Jabari Smith was 0 of 4 in the quarter. He really didn't show much, uh, but they had other options. In particular, Tari Eason was on just a tear to begin this game. I think he had the first basket or two for Houston and he even hit a three-pointer in that stretch so he had seven of their 21 points in the first quarter it's crazy because the Rockets they have that sweet spot I like to save the 76ers picking in the 50s is basically a first round pick Houston if they are in the mid to late teens that's a lottery pick for them they got Alperin Sengun last year off the trade with OKC and Eason I think by all accounts was ruled a very talented prospect but whether it was outside factors or you know whatever the case may be he slid down to Houston's second first round pick and seemed like a no-brainer just like Sengun was the best player available last year they take him and I think there's a real case he's been the Rockets best player in summer league actually even better than Jabari and maybe even Josh Christopher who's done an excellent job but you move into the second quarter and you know you're still looking to field like your star because OKC's star was Aaron Wiggins he looked really good to open the game but is he the sexy type of player that ESPN wants probably not you know from the Thunder point of view it's probably good to see Wiggins spreading his wings out he was one of the more consistent players in Vegas last year so he was a constant and he was a constant just going into the first half or ending it he had 10 points uh, by the end of that second frame but OKC did not carry the lead anymore Houston had a 24 to 15 advantage in the second quarter so that propelled them up uh, headed into halftime still no real like number one option though and that's the um, crazy thing. It's a change of pace for both teams because in Utah, OKC was running through Giddy, Holmgren, and then J-Dub. He was the third option. No, that's not how it worked in this game. And it kind of threw them into like factory reset mode where they had to relearn the motions because Houston, they had a set game plan to prevent OKC's core players so that meant that Aaron Wiggins was going to be your top guy in the first quarter guys like Chet and Josh Giddy, they didn't have many points they had six points a pop at the end of two quarters and for Giddy, I mean he was just struggling you know he was kind of getting killed off of screens which was the bread and butter in the Thunder's first three games you know set a high ball screen either Holmgren's gonna have a wide open pick and pop or Giddy's going to coast to the interior. Did not work that way. He had a very difficult time finding the angle. So he was two of six at halftime. And other guys like Usman Jang, one of five from the field. Just not any real consistent factor for this Thunder team. And for, um, not excuse me, for Houston, it's kind of the same where they didn't shoot particularly well, but they did find players in patches that were able to convert. 
Eason was one of them. Ty Ty Washington was on, you know, a little spell of his own. Jabari Smith Jr., though, uh, just continued to kind of struggle. He was 2 of 10 at halftime. Didn't matter, though. Five-point lead for Houston, and, you know, you're still kind of searching for some answers if you're Oklahoma City and if you're Houston because OKC's best, most consistent players, like I've reiterated, was Aaron Wiggins and even Eugene Omaruyi who just stepped in the first quarter, had six points, and kind of called it quits. Third quarter, though, you know, you start to see some players break out of their shell, and I'm talking about the J-Dub show. Jalen Williams has been the most well-rounded player on the Thunder roster in Summer League. He's been their most consistent player in Summer League, and he continued to show it. He's not a guy that's a one-trick pony, and it's not like anyone can be ahead of the curve now on J-Dub. If you're just now saying J-Dub's a steal, if you're just now saying J-Dub was a great pick, you're right, but the bus kind of moved out the way. You know what I mean? Like, it is well known now that Jalen Williams is not someone who's just a catch-and-shoot guy or just someone who's able to cut to the basket. He does just about everything on the offensive side that OKC needs, and because of how this team is structured, we haven't even seen him play on the ball nearly as much as he's going to be probably used to once he moves into the NBA level. He was 4 of 6 from the field in the third quarter. All four of his shots came in the painted area, and we're just talking backdoor cut after backdoor cut. Whenever Josh Giddy's kind of getting into, you know, a whole bunch of trouble off of a ball screen, he's able to dump it down because players were collapsing in on Giddy. And this is something that I believe teams should be doing uh, when they go into the regular season because OKC has not been a good three-point shooting team, and I don't think they're going to be significantly better this year. Giddy and SGA are the top two threats. You need to pack the paint and you need to test them from downtown. The other factor to this that has not been uh, kind of thrown in the equation because it hasn't had to thus far is what about if you have a really good cutter that you have to deal with who's sitting in a corner? J-Dub sits in the corner, but he's able to just dart to the crevices of the defense where if you're going to play weak side defense, if you're going to collapse from the corner, he's going to sneak in and he's going to be able to convert on reverse layups or just dunks. He did it basically four times in this third quarter and he was one of the major reasons why OKC had a one-point lead going into the fourth quarter. Still crickets from Chet Holmgren. Trey Mann was kind of struggling. I mean, he did this in last year's Summer League. I think that players with his archetype tend to do this, but they're shot creators. Shot creators are going to put up shots in a Summer League situation where it's basically pickup basketball. There's not many plays. You're going to go one-on-one. You're going to try to get some step backs off. Did not work out for Trey Mann uh, in this game really at all, but you had J-Dub and you know, if you're able to play through one guy, play through one guy, and he did it while not handling the basketball. Jabari Smith still not doing well. If you would have watched the tape, I don't think you would have known he was picked third. And honestly, Chet Holmgren, it wasn't like he was playing super high in this game either. This was about the kind of undercover studs, which I think is really sick. But yeah, Smith, he was 3 of 16 going into the fourth quarter. So just kind of miss after miss for him. And it's still a back and forth because there's not much efficiency on other side uh, of the basketball. And in the fourth, 
it's still just it's almost a standoff like who's gonna make a shot and then they'll return fire but they're still in the mix like four misses a pop on each side so it was a very long trek into the fourth quarter but when you got into that especially in the closing moments you started to see the Houston Rockets break away and they started to hit three-pointers which was sort of not part of their game to that point and they had a six-point lead with eight minutes to go which was pretty good considering it was just a back and forth all throughout the third quarter things get tightened up as you approach the midway segment Usman Jang was doing well I mean there was a major OKC run it ended up being I believe seven consecutive points for the Thunder and it was almost entirely off of transition Chet Holmgren cleaning the glass just kicking it out J-Dub had a deflection turn steel into a wide open Jang dunk so all of the kind of momentum was in OKC's favor when you got to five minutes then Jabari Smith showed up he had two consecutive buckets the shots that just weren't going in for him finally had the correct touch on it so he had five consecutive points and you're going into the final minute Basically, with just the same exact situation you walked into the quarter with. OKC has a one-point lead, and that's that. They go for a layup. Josh Giddy drives inside. No good. Chet gets the offensive rebound. He misses a one-footer. And then on the other end, Ty Ty Washington gives the Rockets a lead, which basically seemed unheard of given the situation. Back against the wall, they're able to muster up some sort of run here. And OKC goes back to the drawing board with basically one possession left. 28 seconds to go. The question is, do you go for the three-pointer or do you go for a quick two and foul? They don't even get to that because Josh Giddy gets the basketball, tries to go between the legs, gets clipped by a defender. The ball does, excuse me. It's a turnover. Houston recovers. Two free throws, good to go. OKC, it just becomes the free throw game, and and they're on the wrong side of it. So the Rockets sneak out with a 90-88 to win. This was like a nail-biter in one of the funnest ways. I'm not going to say the funnest because you obviously want to see your lottery picks duking it out, but it was kind of just next-man-up mentality, which the Thunder have been preaching for the last two seasons. I know the Rockets... You know, with all their draft picks, they're also thinking uh, that sort of way. So, you know, it wasn't your traditional summer league game where the top picks are the top guys. It was almost the opposite where you were looking towards other members, you know, of your of your bench likely in the regular season to provide some points. So OKC, they are now 0-1 in summer league. Houston's 1-1. The Thunder basically have to not only win their next four games, but they have to win in big-time fashion to have a chance of making the finals because only two teams make the final Las Vegas Summer League game. The other 28 are in a consolation bracket. So there's going to be a good chunk of teams that will be 4-1. I think you can say that. 5-0, and oh, that's going to be a hard break. But 4-1, and one, there's going to be more than two teams that meet that threshold. It goes down to... A margin of victory after that. 
and OKC would have won that easily in Utah, but they are on the wrong foot right now. You know, luckily they only lost by two points, but they're going to need to win by 20 plus in some of these later games. And the way that Summer League is built for the lottery teams, they're playing very tough competition. They're not playing the Utah Jazz, for example. Sorry, but they're not playing them. You know, they're playing teams that have top to bottom, either second year returning guys or rookies, which, you know, is going to match up well and give the games that they intentionally scheduled. So, You have a lot more fun games, but the pathway to making the final game is actually a lot slimmer than you might think. The top competitors kind of kill each other out, if you get what I'm saying. So you could see the Kings or uh, some other team like that make it. I know they won last year off of not having a very high draft pick. I'd say like a fringe playoff team wins this year, just based on how everything is shaken out and um, the environment you have. In Las Vegas. I want to talk a little bit more into the numbers in one second here. I want to talk about just some other kind of checklist things I'd like to see with the Thunder Squad in Vegas. But first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. With the Vegas Summer League upon us right now, you can throw down some bets. I would probably not bet on the Thunder winning the championship anymore. It could most definitely happen, but um, you could try throwing that down and probably be some decent odds if it pans out for you. Could look towards Summer League MVP. Chet Holmgren was projected to be number one leading into this contest. We'll see where the odds lie going into tonight's game and after tonight's game as well. Uh, But there are plenty of options for you guys if you are interested in making some Summer League bets here's what you have to do for the offer though go ahead and download the DraftKings sportsbook app now use promo code tbpn make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to one thousand dollars that's promo code tbpn only at DraftKings sportsbook minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply see show notes for details Going into the box score for this game, it really wasn't all that pretty. I think the ending was actually really good um, compared to the the final or the earlier chunks of the game, I guess you could say. It was very intense. Um, And I will say, Jabari Smith showed up when it mattered, uh, but he wasn't there the whole game. And Chet Holmgren also kind of struggled from the floor. Chet shot 3 of 10 from the field, had 12 points, 8 rebounds, and 4 blocks, though. So that's the one thing you need to look at. And Jabari Smith ended the night 5 of 19 from the field, 2 of 9 from 3-point land, had 12 points, 9 rebounds, 4 steals, and 3 blocks. So sneaky good defense. You know, in the shooting department, you were letting him shoot. Like, Josh Giddy sagged off on one of his threes, in the second or third quarter, and he bricked it. So, you know, this was a battle of, um, you know, almost shoot-around shots in some cases, but 
Jabari, I mean, he was just so close. And he was almost on target every time. I think someone must have put like some WD-40 on the rim because it was just bouncing really bad. Uh, But for the Thunder, you're going to take that. And, you know, that's what helped make this such a close game. What also made it such a close game, though, was just the three-point production. OKC is not shot well from three. They didn't shoot well in the regular season. They didn't shoot well in Utah. But they shot 17.4% from distance in this one. Four of 23. And when you look at the numbers, Trey Mann, 0 of 5 from distance. Josh Giddy, 0 of 3. Usman Jang, 0 of 5. J-Dub, 0 of 2. The consistent players um, from earlier just were not there. And in particular, I'm talking guys like J-Dub and Trey Mann. You know, typically they're going to be pretty rock solid from three. Was just not there for them. And Aaron Wiggins was the lone man hitting his shots. He was two of two from three. And then he kind of stopped after the first half where he had that 10 points showing. You need to be able to hit your three-pointers to win these games. I watched a game last night between the Memphis Grizzlies and um, I'm running a blank on the second team here. They both shot like below 10% from three in the game. And um, that's not good, obviously. They had to it completely change the flow of the game to where Kenny Lofton was just running the show. You know, just throw it inside, let them score. Santi Aldama was also a big-time scorer. So you have to kind of change your game plan. And I think that's what happened to OKC. Just no three-pointers were going in. And instead, they had to just go attack the basket. They almost doubled the free throw contest. They shot 22 of 27 at the stripe. Houston only got there 14 times. Uh, But Houston, they shot 30% from three. And it's not a good number, but it's going to do better than what OKC put on the board. When you're looking at top players from this game, though, for OKC, you got to look at J-Dub. 7 of 12 from the field, 15 points and 5 rebounds. Just stellar, really everywhere in terms of efficiency. That's why I said he's the most consistent guy for them currently. And another consistent guy was Aaron Wiggins with a 5 of 9 clip. Holmgren with his 12 points. You know, you need to read a little bit in the details. I think he's still perfect from the foul line, actually. Six for six in this game. That is going to be a nightmare for teams if he's really shooting, you know, in the 80s or 90% from the foul line because you need to foul him when he gets inside because he is a very dangerous player around the cup. Josh Giddy had 14 points and eight assists. Five turnovers, though. So, you know, he was a lot looser in his handle this game, which is going to kind of kill you a little bit there. Um, But that's kind of the main, main break you look at for OKC. They're hoping to defeat the Orlando Magic tonight. I'm going to get into that game in one second here. But first, I want to talk about some of the things I want to see from the Thunder Vegas squad, kind of moving forward. And I have five different things that I put on my checklist, if you will. Um, I know we're already one game down, but I still think it holds up the full length of this because really nothing's changed from Utah to Las Vegas. And um, once you get into the final two, three games, that's when you really unlock the back end of the roster. So just starting things out, I think you still need to play through Chet Holmgren. I mean, he's just been 
the star really for this team. I know the last two games for him, he hasn't shot well, but in terms of rebounding blocks and just the flow and space of the game, you know, no one else is going to replicate Chet's production on this Thunder team, even if you're pulling guys that aren't in Vegas right now. Chet Holmgren is the biggest uh, kind of space creator on the Thunder's roster. And on the ball, of course not. That goes to SGA. But off the ball, he changes the dynamics so, so much. The center has to pull up on screens. That leads to one-on-one isolation situations. It's really a beauty. And there's just a domino effect with how he's able to impact um, the offensive game. So I still think you need to play him significant minutes. Let him shoot from downtown. I know he's been a little flaky, but keep setting high ball screens. Live through those because that's going to be the primary calling card once you get into the regular season. See how far you can stretch defenses out with that type of play. And even on the deck, let him go in transition. That's what he did in Utah against Utah. Haven't seen it much since. Let him continue to play that way. Defensively, I mean, he's just the heart and soul of the team right now. I think he had 12 blocks in his his first three games, excuse me. Abaka had 13 blocks in 2015. That's the last time we've seen a Thunder player put up 12-plus blocks in a three-game span. He's ridiculous. He had 23 blocks in a four-game span at one point. So Chet's not going to break that right now, barring like a miracle. But um, he's definitely got some good company in terms of the accolades. And he just started playing for the team. So just... I want to see teams attack them on screens. The soft spot has been floaters, and that's something that um, they'll need to take into account because lots of players are getting better at those runners and floaters. Uh, But just closing out those space uh, for Holmgren is definitely significant. J-Dub is the second most important guy to look at. I know that it sucks, and you know when you're looking at the best version of the Summer League Thunder... Josh Giddy's starting every game. He's playing 30 minutes a game. But realistically, I think the goal of Summer League is to unlock and discover what the entirety of your roster is going to be. I think Josh Giddy's identity was clarified last season. He's shown that yet again in um, Summer League, that he's a really good passer, really good finisher, still needs to work a bit on the three. J-Dub has been the secondary or tertiary guy as an off-ball player. But he's an on-ball guy. That's what he did in college. Just passing it all the time, 4.2 assists per game. Let him be the one playing off of Chet Holmgren ball screens because he's a very good passer out of screens, and he has a sneaky good mid-range game that you won't see unless he is coming off the screen with the basketball in his hand. So I'd almost argue that's the most important thing to look at because... Giddy, you already know the script. I think with Holmgren, you already know the script. J-Dub has a clear-cut part of his game that hasn't been put in place yet. Add that to the puzzle, and let's see what the full thing looks like. Usman Jang, another situation where I think it's not comparable to J-Dub, but sort of. It's the same type of role he's been placed in. He's been utilized as an off-ball threat, which is not... 
where he's supposed to be. This is an on-ball player, and the reason he was selected in the lottery is because he looked good as an on-ball player. This is a six foot ten playmaker, put the ball on the deck, get off a screen, attack the basket, or kick it out. He's not a three-point guy. He's not a three-level scorer, and even though he showed flashes with the New Zealand Breakers to close the year, that's still not something that you could etch in stone, that he's a three-point shooter playing off the deck. There's a lot of questions about Usman um, Jang's game, and you want to get some of those uh, kind of revealed or at least touch up on some in Summer League. I don't think you could really make any clear read on how he's played in Summer League thus far just because of the situation he's been thrusted into. He didn't have to play this way with New Zealand. He didn't play this way in France. He was someone that was your secondary ball handler. And I think in the ideal world, and when he hits that peak or ceiling, he's someone that puts the ball on the deck and creates for others. We have not seen him play that way. You know, when he does get the basketball at the wing, he's immediately kicking it back out. I want Cam Woods to tell him, you're going to play on ball. We want to see you play this way and just unleash him. If it's bad output, it doesn't matter. It's still a success. You just need to get the reps up with him because the on-ball reps are virtually at zero right now, and um, that's not really ideal for him. You know, you don't want him still stuck in the corner shooting 25% from three because does that help him? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say so because that's where he's going to fit in. Um, I think on the floor, if he starts in the regular season or he's part of the rotation immediately, but that's not going to give you the best improvement and kind of uh, reach the potential that he needs to. He needs to be someone playing a significant portion on the basketball. And that leads me to believe that he's going to be in the G League to start the season. One thing that um, is actually different about the G League and the NBA is the calendar. The G League schedule is a couple months shorter than the NBA and they traditionally start in mid-November. The NBA starts in late October. So there's about two or three weeks where the NBA is going on and there's no G League play. I think Jang will start the first three weeks with the OKC Thunder. But as soon as the G League schedule comes out, as soon as the games kick off, I think he's going to be on assignment and they're going to be starting him. This is exactly what we saw with Alexei Pogoshevsky in his rookie year. And even last year, too, where they dipped him down for about 15 games, let him play more on ball, have more mistakes, and not have, you know, a major impact to um, the NBA team. You know, you want to play project players down to get them a little bit more comfortable. I think Guzman is uh, still, I, I think you could rule him a project. Is he a bit more far along than Poku when he came out of the draft? I believe so. I think that Poku from um, you know the first moment he was on the Thunder was just extremely raw. Usman is still raw. Uh, but the same sentiment still is there where he's going to need to have more experiences playing as a ball handler. And you're not going to find that day to day with the Thunder. You will find that with the Oklahoma City Blue. And the two two-way signings and Lindy and Eugene, they're not on-ball guys. They are secondary options. Some like Jaden Shackelford, who I don't know if they're keeping with the blue. He's a scorer first, 
passer second at the one. So that almost makes the perfect environment for Usman to start right away with the OKC Blue. Play him for 15 games, and then when the new year hits, January 1st, maybe launch him back up with the OKC Thunder. Um, But there's going to be growing pains. I think you need to kind of let him out of his shell a bit more in these next four games, though. Vit Kredci is also another guy where I think he needs to be on the floor a, a little bit more. He didn't play against Houston. I hope he plays against Orlando. Really good role player in Utah, and I think to close the regular season, he was a really good role player. Six foot eight playmaker, good around the basket, and even from three, I like his form. He's 22 years old now, so he's not this 18-year-old that um, you could see with this crazy high ceiling, but he definitely has the inklings of being a solid role player, especially for a team like the Thunder that kind of thrive off of having as many um, on-ball players as possible. So, you know, this is just about keeping him in the regular rotation. I know that um, they're prioritizing some players over others, but Veet should be one of those top eight, top nine guys you play the next four games. Same goes for just the entirety of this roster. You know, they have looked at, extensively looked at guys you know will be playing minutes next year. Josh Giddy, Chet Holmgren, JRE, Aaron Wiggins, um, even guys like, I don't want to say J-Dub, but um, maybe Trey Mann, you know? Like, they are going to have 20, 30-minute roles within this team and that is going to be big. You need to be prioritizing playing those Thunder players. But what about the back end of the rotation? The Exhibit 10 guys, Gabe Brown, Jaden Shackelford, Rob Baker, Kevin Kongu. I mean, there is still talent that's going to have a shot of making this training camp roster or make the G League roster. You need to have a successful G League team, um, and in particular, for a team such as the Thunder. This isn't a team that is fully established yet. If someone stars in the NBA G League with the blue, they're going to be able to make things work and let them play at the NBA level. Lindy Waters was not supposed to be on the Thunder this season. You know, he was the last guy on the blue roster, didn't play in the uh, winter showcase, so he didn't play in 2021. The calendar year flips, he's a bench guy, And he outplays Paul Watson Jr., a 26-year-old shooting guard who was supposed to be a three-point shooter, wasn't a three-point shooter. They swap them out for a younger Lindy Waters, and he's able to shoot the ball. That's a valuable role player you can kind of look into more this season. I think Eugene is in a similar situation to Paul Watson, where, yeah, he's a veteran. He's shown he'll be capable. But if there's some diamond in the rough, this 21, 22-year-old guy that just blows you away with potential, that guy is going to take the two-way contract. It's not a guaranteed position for Eugene unless he's literally playing like an NBA player anytime he steps on the floor Um, just because the nature of how this Thunder team has been concocted. Nothing is set in stone, I think, even this year when we get into that final 15-man roster. So... Look at those Exhibit 10s, see who you want to prioritize going into the G League season. If you want to give anybody else an Exhibit 10 contract, some of them are just Summer League deals, uh, and you know, pick pick some guys before you get into the G League draft, because the G League draft is a thing, but most of your top 
undrafted players are already signed. So they're not going to be part of that draft pool. So that's just my breakdown on things. Some of the top five guys or situations to look at. I want to look at the situation for tonight, though, as the Thunder go ahead and play the Orlando Magic. And Orlando has looked really good. Um, You know, this is a interesting game be not only because it's number one versus number two uh, but the Simpson storyline which I'll talk about Paulo looked like he was limping um after his first game so is he gonna be out there for tonight's ball game I really hope so I think um you know Paulo going up against someone like J-Dub or Usman is gonna be big time those are gonna be your primary defenders against him Probably Chet would pick him up too. Uh, but just seeing length go up against a guy like Paulo, who is so dominant on the basketball, looks like he's able to shoot it from all three levels right now. I think he might be the Summer League MVP if Orlando is able to, you know, get through these five games with no real, you know, big time blows. But if he's not playing in this game, it's going to change so much and what the attention goes on. I know ESPN's really hoping that um, he's going to be out there. I know Thunder fans are going to be hoping to see Chet and Josh Giddy. Cam Woods didn't have a clear-cut comment on if Josh Giddy's going to play all five games, what the matter is with him. I think Chet will be playing, though. Poku didn't play last game. Maybe he returns, and maybe Josh Giddy returns yet again for this rotation. I'm most excited to see, outside of the Thunder group, of course, Xavier Simpson returning to face the OKC Thunder. And if you're not an OKC Blue fan, you still caught a glimpse of Captain Hook to close the year out. But Simpson is like a campus legend at Michigan. He played four seasons there, had over 1,000 points and 500 assists, just a fourth player in program history to do that, had a Big Ten All-Defensive selection, two second-team All-Big Ten honors, and he has a cut for the winningest player in program history. So he is cut from a very prestigious cloth within a blue blood type of college. So he didn't get drafted in 2020, but the blue picked him up in the G League draft, seventh pick. Um, this was the COVID year, so the draft pool was actually really good that year. And he was a star in the G League bubble. Led the blue in assists. Last season with the Blue, he led the team in assists yet again in total. He uh, had 372 assists with the team, and he really picked up on the offensive side last year. This is when Captain Hook went from kind of just this sneaky guy that would play next to Ty Jerome to being the guy for the OKC Blue and being a top point guard in the NBA G League. Not only is he a very smart decision maker with the ball in his hands, but he's so crafty. You can tell by that little hook shot that no one else has, and he's six feet tall. So not your typical player launching these types of shots anyways. He was looking to hit some of these shots in Orlando's Summer League debut. I think he went one of four on the hooks and um, didn't show out many hook shots in his last game either. But, you know, going up against some former teammates here, Lindy Waters, Poku, I think those are the main two that uh, really shared the floor with him. Maybe even Aaron Wiggins if you want to toss him in. He might be able to pick some spots, and he knows 
basically this entire Thunder roster. He's been with the franchise the last two seasons, even though he wasn't with the Thunder until the final week of the regular season. They share the same facilities, you know, coaches from both sides are evaluating. So I'm sure that he's talked and he's become really good friends with everyone on the Thunder roster. So him returning will be very cool, but the play style is going to be even cooler to watch. If you guys weren't able to watch OKC Blue Games last year, if you didn't catch Captain Hook in the final week, know that there's always a fireworks show with this guy. He is able to put up crazy looking shots and with someone like Paulo on their roster and even Emmanuel Terry who uh, played with Stockton last year. I mean, those are two very good athletes that I think Simpson thrives thrives off of. You know, do I think Simpson is going to be back with the blue? Probably not. I think that part of his career has changed, not because he didn't thrive there, you know, he's one of the best players that come through this organization, but just in terms of NBA opportunity, there's a better chance of him making a training camp roster with the Orlando Magic than there is the Thunder. That's just how this works. That's how the business side of this league works, and I think it's the best choice for him as a player. If you want to be greedy, sure. I think the fan side, of you would want him sticking around with the Thunder Summer League, but if Josh Giddy is playing all, you know, 80-year Summer League games— you don't want to be on their roster, uh, you know, if you're looking to make the training camp. You're looking to get reps in the summer league. He has more eyes in Orlando. He's been their sixth man. Should play a significant role off the bench for them. And um, I really hope we get to see him take some hook shots. And if he does one on Chet Holmgren and he makes it, it's going to be all over the internet. On the flip side, if Chet Holmgren's able to swat one of those post hook hooks, it's also going to be on the internet. This is a win-win game for Thunder fans. Not only do you get to see Chet go up against Paolo if he's there, but you also get to see the other side of things where Xavier Simpson gets to return after playing two years within the organization, and you get to see a couple post hooks or just hook shots in general, which you don't see from anybody else. (laughs) I know Doncic popped one in his um, EuroLeague game or his FIBA qualifier game, excuse me. Definitely stole that one from Xavier. I think the Thunder, you know, whenever Xavier's done with his playing days, they might want to recruit him uh, as a coach because that shot isn't very prevalent amongst players, but it is super-duper efficient, and he's going to be the first one to kind of tell you that if you ask him. Anyways, though, this game will be on at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on ESPN. Bring out some popcorn. They already played Jabari and the number three pick, in the Rockets, now you play the number one team on primetime television. Make sure to give it a watch. If you're not able to, I'll be giving live updates on my Twitter account. And I will have not just an article, but also a podcast breaking down the game as it concludes. Anyways, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.